Well, good morning. Happy Easter. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we have life in him. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. Christ won. Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave. And it's him that we celebrate this beautiful resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the most monumental event, not only in church history, but in all of human history. We focus our attention this morning on the, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no more important truth to the Christian faith than the reality of the resurrection. It is the benchmark of our faith. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15, if, if Christ has not risen from the dead, our faith is useless. Everything we believe means nothing if Christ has not risen from the dead. Why would this great apostle of the faith use such strong words why would he put so much weight and make so much dependent upon the fact of the resurrection? It's one of the most historically, historical provable events in human history. Non-Christian historical events by people like Josephus, Tacitus, people who walked with Christ and the early followers of Christ. Historians like Lucius and Maimonides and even the Jewish Sanhedrin all corroborate the early Christian eyewitness accounts of the historical aspects of the death and the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My point is this, it wasn't something that was only substantiated by believers in Christ. History records early on in the first century that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was indeed a fact. So why such emphasis on the resurrection? Why is it so significant? I mean, they, they had the miracles. They had seen the blind eyes open. They had heard about the deaf ears starting to hear again. They, they saw the mute that were speaking. They had seen Jesus raise people from the dead and, and cast demons out of people. They were there when the water was turned into wine and the loaves and the fish were multiplied and thousands were fed. People have tried to discredit these claims, but the fact remains that it was the very miracles that Jesus performed that, draw the, that drew the crowds. I mean, if in fact Christ was not doing these miracles, thousands wouldn't show up every time Jesus arrived on the scene. But everywhere Jesus showed up, the crowds would come because Christ was performing miracle after miracle after miracle. They wouldn't have been so inclined to believe he was extraordinary if they hadn't seen the miracles that he had performed. 
That's why the religious leaders wanted to remove him. That's why they wanted to silence him and shut him down. Because he would speak and he would teach with such authority. And then he would substantiate his teaching by the miraculous. And people would be moved. So why so much emphasis on the resurrection? I mean, they had his teaching. Nobody, nobody taught like Christ did. As one who had authority with love and compassion. As one who had wisdom beyond any understanding. One who not only taught the law, but taught the intent behind the law in ways that the religious leaders of the day couldn't possibly teach. There was never a teacher quite like Jesus. So why the emphasis on the resurrection? I mean, they had the testimony of, of thousands. You know, you could fool some people some of the time, but not all the people all of the time. Writers and historians throughout the ages have examined the claims that were made and they found them to be true. So why the emphasis on the resurrection? Even in the ministry of Jesus, he is constantly talking about the fact that he was going to be handed over, that he would be killed, but that he would rise three days later. Come with me for a moment as we take a look at the surrounding moments of that sacred event. It is the third year, the final year of Jesus' ministry. He has shocked the crowd with his teaching. He has staggered their minds with his miracles. Jesus caught the attention of everyone. The question in the mind of those Jews at the time was, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? You see, hundreds of years earlier, the, the prophets of old had said that God was going to send a Messiah. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelling with his people just like he had dwelt with his people before that fateful day when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, which resulted in separation from God. The Old Testament prophets from Genesis all throughout Malachi predicted the Messiah would come hundreds, thousands of years before Christ's arrival. We see the finger of the prophets pointing with precision accuracy that he indeed would come. They said he would be born of a virgin, and indeed he was. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah prophesied, and in fact, he was. It says that he would be a healer of many. History records the fact that Christ indeed healed many. It even spoke about the way in which this Messiah would teach. It said that he would speak in parables, Isaiah talks about. And as we open up the ministry of Jesus, we see Jesus teaching in parabolic form, bringing truth in parabolic form. 
As we saw last week, the prophets pointed, Zechariah pointed to the specific day in which the Messiah would enter into the streets of Jerusalem, that Palm Sunday, as they would cry out, Hosanna in the highest, that most ironic day in all of history. As the moments leading up to Christ's crucifixion began to unfold, we see so many other predictions come to pass. In fact, over 400 Old Testament prophecies given hundreds of years prior to that event. Impossible for any setup, any scheme to try and pull that off that he would be rejected by his own. And indeed he was. Betrayed by a close friend, the prophets would foretell. In fact, they would even say he would be sold out for 30 pieces of silver in which he was. Something completely out of their control that he would be crucified between two thieves. Crucifixion not even being something that was on the radar at the time of the Old Testament, something invented by the Romans centuries later. All of these predictions came to pass with precision accuracy, just as they were foretold centuries before. All of that should certainly be enough to substantiate that Christ is the Messiah. So many rulers and kings and leaders through the centuries sought to disprove this movement of Christianity by trying to expose these claims as false and lies and fairy tales, many of which came to faith in Christ as they pursued to discredit this faith that they sought to silence. So then why such emphasis on the resurrection when we have all of those other things to pull from. Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me or you can join me looking at the screen above. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look with me at verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not even been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith, Paul says, is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ if he had not raised him up. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. And Paul says, then you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but in Christ so also all shall be made alive. Why the significance of the resurrection? Why such emphasis on the resurrection? Why is it the benchmark of our faith? Why you remove the, 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 the fact of the resurrection, all of Christianity falls in on itself. Why such significance to the resurrection? This morning I want to tell you, I want to bring five reasons why the resurrection is so significant for us as believers and so significant for those who are even skeptics. Why is the resurrection so significant? Just using this one passage of scripture, there's so many other reasons that I could, I could bring out, but I want to stay within this one text this morning. And let's look at five reasons based on what Paul said here, why the resurrection is indeed so significant. The first reason is what we, found, we find in verse 14. Number one, the, the resurrection is so significant because then our faith is not in vain. Our faith is not in vain, we see in verse 14. We, you know, we live in a culture that, that wants to believe that truth is evolving over time. That it changes according to time and culture and popular opinion. Our culture would suggest there really aren't any right or wrongs. Everything goes if it works out for you. If it works out for you, then, then go for it. The reality is that time will always demonstrate that life, a life that's disconnected with God, from God, will always go about unfulfilled. Will always lack a sense of purpose because we were created by God to be in relationship with him. And until man finds that place with God, he will never fully feel satisfied. He will never fully feel fulfilled. He may be happy at times, he may have good times and, and everything else, but at the end of the day, that moment at three o'clock in the morning when you look at yourself in the mirror and you wonder what it's all about, apart from God, life is futile. Instead, people find themselves in pursuit of the eternal buzz, chasing after something to satisfy something only God can fill. You were created to have a relationship with God, creator with creation, finding fulfillment and purpose. Our cultures attempt to question and minimize the significance and truth of Christianity is futile because you can't silence truth. You can put truth in a tomb. But Resurrection Sunday reminds us that it does not stay there. Your Christianity, it means something. Your faith is, is precious. It is not irrelevant. It is not outdated. It is not in need for some kind of an update. 
It is not some blind faith fairy tale that you hold on, just hoping that what you were told was right. But it is substantial, it is verifiable. It brings life, it brings significance, it brings fulfillment, it brings purpose, and it brings destiny. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The resurrection proves that what the prophets all pointed to, what the disciples in Jesus' day followed after him for, and what every Christian up until his day embraces, the resurrection proves that your faith is not in vain. The resurrection substantiated all of the teachings of Jesus. Nobody before him or after him was able to substantiate their teaching. There was all kinds of teachers in Jesus' day. There was all kinds of leaders that would claim to be God, but their teachings died with them in the grave where they rot. Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead, substantiating his teaching. Your faith is not futile. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is significant because it validates our faith. Secondly, the resurrection is significant because we are no longer in our sins. Paul says, if in Christ, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's the worst place we can be when standing before God. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Christ hung on that tree, my sin and yours was placed on him. He willingly became the sacrifice for my sin. We had opportunity this past Friday, perhaps you joined with us as we went through the steps that led up to the crucifixion of Christ. As we looked at Good Friday, remembering that it started with Passover, and we saw how Jesus fulfilled the Passover in the person of himself and walking to the cross to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. What a powerful presentation that we had Friday night. Lives where you could just see the faces of people coming to, coming to life as they heard the power of the gospel brought forth. The resurrection is significant because if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, we're still in our sins. And when he went to the cross, he paid the price for my sin. He stepped in and he took the punishment that rightfully should have been directed upon me. He took it upon himself. We are born in Adam, sinners separated from God. And any punishment we receive for our sin is rightly deserved. And that's why Jesus came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You and I cannot pay for our own sins. The only way a person can pay for their own sins is in hell for all of eternity. The only other way is to have Jesus pay the price for them. I'm opting for Jesus. When Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It was at that moment that all of my sin, past, present, and future, was poured out on Christ. And the Father looked away. Jesus, at that moment, absorbed all of the wrath of God for our sins upon himself. And by doing so, he turned the wrath of God that was directed on me into the favor of God, exchanging my wrath for his righteousness. And I stand forgiven. And he presented his, himself as a sacrifice to the Father. And his resurrection proves that his sacrifice was acceptable. And as a result of that, I am no longer in my sins. Easter is the promise of a clean slate. Don't we all need a clean slate? There's nothing worse than the feeling like somebody has the deck, the deck stacked against them. Nobody wants to be walking in guilt and shame and feeling the weight of sin with other people, but certainly with God. But Easter reminds me that if I'll confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel that's the power of the gospel that I don't need to be under the weight of sin. We're no longer under our sin because Christ rose from the dead. It's one of the reasons that the resurrection is so significant. It substantiated the fact that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. The resurrection is significant, number three, because we have hope in the life after. We have hope in the life after. Look at verse 18. He says, Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's referring to those who have died. Paul says, Those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, of all people, most pitied. In other words, if, if Christianity is all about what we receive just in this life, we amongst all men are most pitied. Did you ever try and wrap your arms around the concept of eternity? I love the song Amazing Grace. I think it's the fourth stanza where it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity is forever. Christ came to secure our eternity with him forever. Paul makes it clear that there is something beyond the now. Are we just these arbitrary specks that just kind of evolved into existence with no meaning, no purpose, no plan whatsoever? Did God design us in such a way that a person will live perhaps 70 or 80 years if they're blessed and then just cease to exist? 
I'd like to think that God has a grander plan than that. You and I were created for eternity. Jesus came so that we might be forgiven. so that we could spend all of eternity with him. Listen, if Christ only came so we'd benefit from this life, he would have just sent some paperwork for us to follow. But he came to secure our eternal destination so that we'd be with him forever. The word eternity is so hard for us to wrap our arms around. How do we possibly grasp this idea of forever. Our minds can't possibly fathom it. Yet it is exactly what Jesus had in mind. Here is Jesus. He's with his disciples in John chapter 14. And it is, it is just a little bit before he is, a, he is about to uh, be handed over and, and crucified. It is near the, it is the third year of his ministry. He's nearing the end. And he's been telling his disciples that soon he would be leaving them. And he says this to them in John chapter 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Would I have lied to you? But Jesus said, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That's why Christ came. So that where I am, you may be also. You were created for eternity. You were created to walk with your creator for all of eternity. It's our final home. It's our destination. It's where man was intended to be from the beginning. You and I were created to have a relationship with our creator. There's something on the inside of us that bears witness with that very truth. You say, well, you can never really know if this whole Christianity thing is true. Yes, you can. John says that these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in, your, in his name. There is a confidence and an assurance that only God can give that puts a, a knowing deep in our knower that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. And we have a relationship with him. The resurrection of Jesus highlights the hope that we have in life eternal. But also the resurrection is significant because we have hope in this present life as well. The other thing we see in this text is that not only do we have hope for our future, but the resurrection provides for us a hope for our present life as well. Again, looking at Paul's words in verse 18, then if in fact the dead had not risen, then those who have fallen asleep have perished. And then again, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all men most pitied. 
Paul uses the, the hypothetical argument to, to point out that we do, in fact, have hope in this life only, right? We saw before that Paul's saying, it, it's not like you just have hope in this life. You have hope for eternal life as well, but you also have, have hope for this life as well. I mentioned last week how, how sad it was when the crowds that came into Jerusalem were so distracted by their temporary oppression, how they wanted a, a king to rule over them at that time to make their lives easier, to make their lives more comfortable. They weren't looking for the king of kings. They were looking for a king who would bring security here for them on this earth. That's why I said before, it was the most ironic day in all of history. Because the prophets pointed to that specific day in which the Messiah would come, but they were so distracted by their temporary needs that they wanted a temporary king and didn't realize who was in their midst on that Palm Sunday. And Jesus said they missed their day of visitation. The Messiah who would deliver them not just from their temporary oppression, but from their eternal oppression. You know, likewise, today people get so distracted from all that's going on around them that they fail to remember the hope that we have in Christ in this life, right here, right now, not just eternity, but here as well. It's so distracted until the phone call comes. Until the news broadcast comes out. Until the doctor's report shows up. Until the blood work arrives. Until the busyness of our life is interrupted with a moment that demands for us to look to something that's bigger than us. Something that's more powerful than us. Something that's more in control than anything that we can ever put in motion. Oftentimes, it is in those moments that we realize the frailty of our significance that man often looks beyond himself. It's not that that hope becomes any more real. That hope is always real. It's just that that hope becomes a little bit more real to them at that moment. But why wait for the crisis? Why wait for the phone call? Why wait for the setback? Jesus' resurrection assures us hope and joy, not only in the life after, but in this life as well. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He said the enemy, he comes to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you'd have it more abundantly. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You know that has nothing to do with heaven. That's talking about right here, right now, on this earth, as we're walking the blessed life in obedience to the Savior. We're walking in the goodness and blessing of God. 
That's God's plan and purpose for your life. Jesus' resurrection assures us hope in the life after and then hope in life now. And then lastly, the resurrection is significant because the curse from sin is reversed. The power of sin and the consequences and the curse that came from sin is reversed. Paul says in verse 20 of that chapter, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that's Christ. For as in Adam, all people die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Listen, people are going to be represented by one of two people when they stand before God that day. They're going to stand represented by Adam in their sin leading to death or they're going to come represented by Christ, the second Adam, leading to life. And what we do with Jesus has everything to do with where we will spend eternity. Easter is always the answer to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The resurrection, the power of the resurrection. It was the plan since the fall of the garden. Man disobeyed God in the garden and sin entered the world. And with sin came death. Jesus, the second Adam, our second representative, because the first Adam sinned. He disobeyed God. He didn't fulfill the plan of God. And because of that, sin entered into into the world and every person born of Adam, you and I, as a result of that, couldn't possibly fulfill the law of God. And so Christ came to fulfill the plan and purpose and law of God on our behalf. He is the second Adam and Jesus came and accomplished what the first Adam failed to do and he did it on our behalf. Adam's action brought death. Jesus' action brought life. You say, Pastor, wait, so you're saying to me that a Christian will never die? That's exactly what I'm saying. A person who places their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, when they breathe their last, they are simply crossing out of time and into eternity and into the presence of Jesus. Your eternal life began the moment you accepted Christ as your Lord. Death has no more hold on you. Death, the result of the curse upon Adam is reversed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're given eternal life. That's significant. The significance of the resurrection assures us that our faith is not in vain that we're no longer in our sins, that we have hope in the life after, and we have hope 
in the life present. And the significance of the resurrection reminds us that the curse of sin is reversed. And salvation is available in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. The scripture teaches that today is the day of salvation. Don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today because nobody is promised tomorrow. The scripture points to Jesus, the lover of our souls, whom God so loved the world, gave him for us. Will you receive Christ this Resurrection Sunday? I trust that if you have already, I pray that the hope of the gospel, the significance of the resurrection, just magnifies that truth in your heart and that it would overshadow everything that would distract you in the course of the day. But if you have not done that, if you've not placed your trust in Christ, if you've not asked Christ to be the, 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 the forgiver of your sins, today is the day to ask because nobody is promised tomorrow. That's not bad news, that's great news. The cure is in Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish because that's the destination of all of humanity. But instead, because of Christ, we can have everlasting life. And Lord, this Resurrection Sunday, we're reminded of the truth of the gospel and your power over death and hell and the grave and your power to bring our deadness to life again. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not come to that place in their life where they recognize their need for a Savior, I pray that you would do a work in their hearts right now. And that, Lord, even in the quietness of their heart, Maybe that's you this morning. Just, just in the quietness of your heart, ask Jesus, forgive me my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord, my Savior. And let this Resurrection Sunday be your Resurrection Sunday. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I pray if you did that today for the first time. I, I pray afterwards you come up and talk to one of our elders. They'll be here to pray with you and talk with you. There's no greater joy than living the life that God has created us to live. One that walks with the God who loves us, who knows us, and has a plan and purpose for our lives. Amen? God bless you.